So the story continues in Matthew 26. Tonight we'll be looking at verses 36 to 56. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell down with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for the cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once Put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Please pray with me. 
Father, we are easily distracted. Our minds are prone to wandering, as are our hearts. Father, please capture our attention this night. Please remove distractions. Please teach us, because we long to hear the word of the living God. Please, Heavenly Father, teach us. Amen. Tomorrow you will be tempted. You will be tempted to live independently of God. Tomorrow you will be tempted. Tempted to doubt God's sovereign love of you. Tomorrow you will be tempted to look to this world rather than to God for life and fulfilment. Helen Rosevere was a medical missionary in the Congo last century, in the 60s and 70s, I think. She's written an amazing book called Living Faith. Here is one excerpt from that book. One night I'd worked hard to help a mother in the labour ward, but despite all we could do, she died, leaving us with a tiny premature baby and a crying two-year-old daughter. We would have difficulty in keeping the baby alive as we had no incubator. We had no electricity to run an incubator and no special feeding facilities. Despite living on the equator, nights were often chilly. One pupil midwife went for the box we used for such babies and the cotton wool that they were wrapped in. Another went to stoke up the fire and fill a hot water bottle. She came back shortly, in distress, to tell me that in filling the hot water bottle, it had burst. Rubber perishes easily in tropical climates. And it was our last hot water bottle, she exclaimed. The following midday, I went to have prayers with any of the orphanage children who chose to gather with me, as I did most days. I gave the youngsters various suggestions of things to pray about and told them about the tiny baby. I explained our problem about keeping the baby warm enough, mentioning the burst hot water bottle. The baby could so easily die if it got chilled. I also told them of the two-year-old sister crying because her mother had died. During the prayer time, one ten-year-old girl, Ruth, prayed with the usual blunt conciseness of our African children. Please God, she prayed, send us a hot water bottle. It'll be no good tomorrow, God, as the baby will be dead. So please send it this afternoon. Whilst I gasped inwardly at the audacity of the prayer, she added, and while you're about it, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so that she knows that you love her as well. As often with children's prayers, I was put on on the spot. Could I honestly say amen to this? I just did not believe that God could do this. Oh yes, I know that he can do everything. The Bible says so. But there are limits, aren't there? And I had some very big buts. 
The only way that God could answer this particular prayer would be by sending me a parcel from the UK. I had been in Africa for nearly four years and never received a parcel from home. And anyway, if anyone did send me a parcel, who would put a hot water bottle? I live on the equator. Halfway through the afternoon, whilst I was teaching in a nurse's training school, a message was sent that there was a car at my front door. By the time I reached home, the car had gone. But there, on the veranda, was a large parcel bearing UK stamps. I felt tears pricking my eyes. I could not open the parcel alone, so I sent for the orphanage children. Excitement was mounting. From the top, I lifted out brightly coloured knitted jumpers. Eyes sparkled as I gave them out. Then there were knitted bandages for the leprosy patients, and they looked a little bored. Then a large bar of soap, and the children were probably more bored. Then a box of mixed raisins and sultanas, that will make a nice batch of buns for the weekend. Then as I put my hand in again, I felt, could it be? Could it really be? I grasped it and pulled it out. Yes, a brand new rubber hot water bottle. I cried. I had not asked God to send it. I had not truly believed that he could. Ruth was in the front row of the children. She rushed forward, crying out, If God sent the, the bottle, he must have sent the dolly too. Rummaging down to the bottom of the box, she pulled out the small, beautifully dressed dolly. Her eyes shone. She had never doubted. Looking up at me, she asked, Can I go with you and give this dolly to the little girl so that she'll know that Jesus really loves her? That parcel had been on its way for five months, packed by some old class members who had heard and obeyed God's prompting to send a hot water bottle even to the equator. And one of the girls had put in a dolly for an African child five months before in answer to the believing prayer of a ten-year-old to bring it that afternoon. Prayer is unnatural. Prayer is counterintuitive. Having given thanks, given thanks and worshipped in the upper room, Jesus and his friends now go out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Facing betrayal and death, Jesus goes to pray. He asks his friends for support. He calls them to watch and pray. Time and time again, time and time again in the last couple of days, he had taught them, urged them to be ready and to be wise. He seeks his friends' support, but it's not forthcoming. Whether it's the late hour or the wine or both, their resolve that they had defended so stringently is already starting to wane. 
We haven't seen Jesus like this before. He is sorrowful and troubled. He had confronted storms. He confronted angry people. He'd even confronted demons without trouble, without sorrow. But this is very different. This is a greater struggle. This is anguish and torment. Jesus, like his friends, is being tempted to flee. Jesus is being tempted to deny. Jesus is being tempted to betray. Jesus is being tempted to flee from the Father's plan. He's being tempted to deny the Father's sovereign love. And he's being tempted to betray his Father and so betray himself and all of mankind. It is greatly significant that Matthew notes that Jesus prays on three occasions. We haven't seen Jesus like this before, but he has faced similar temptations before at the beginning of his public ministry in the wilderness in Matthew 4. Again, he is being tempted by the devil. This time, he's not tempted to provide food for himself. He's eaten. But to provide a way out, a way out of what lies ahead, he's being challenged, as he was in the wilderness, to display independence from God by fleeing. This time... Jesus is being tempted to deny his father's love, not by jumping off the highest point of the temple, but by walking away from the cross. This time the temptation is not to worship the devil and receive all the kingdoms of the world in exchange for betraying his father. This time he is being tempted to betray his father, to betray himself, and in so doing, to sever for eternity the only hope for any person who has lived or will live to be reconciled to the Father. It is also significant that the setting is a garden because our true home is a garden, isn't it? Our true home is Eden and that is where our disaster began when we, humanity, were first tempted to opt for independence where we were first tempted to deny God's love and to turn our backs on God looking to the world for life and fulfilment instead of our true father so we are estranged refugees who are far from home and this is all our own doing all our own doing Jesus' struggle in Gethsemane is our daily struggle. However, I don't think, if you're anything like me, it's a struggle that greatly troubles you or or greatly causes you sorrow. Each day we are tempted to flee, to deny, to betray... Each day we are tempted to rely on our own resources of strength and wisdom and determination. 
but they are never enough. In short, our daily struggle is this. Our will, our plan, our kingdom, our glory. Or God's will, God's desire, God's kingdom, God's glory. I'd like Jesus... We are enticed and we fail. We follow what we falsely perceive to be an easier path, a, a better way. Praise God that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are and yet found to be without sin. We do have a hope and it's not our strength or our goodness got nothing to do with us our hope is Jesus on the surface here it is four simple words that makes all the difference four simple words that makes all the difference your will be done four words of submission four words of love and faith Four words of worship. Four words that we find so, so difficult to truly utter from the heart. But four words that Jesus has uttered for us. Four words that we will find exceedingly hard to put into action. Yet they are four words that can reshape our our relationships, reshape our lives, reshape the entire world. Four words that in God's strength, by God's grace, we can pray each day and seek to enact each day. Your will be done. Your will be done. God's will is always more easily determined with hindsight. It's obvious that it was God's will to answer Ruth's prayer and to provide that impossible answer, that hot water bottle and the dolly. But is it possible for us to define God's will in every circumstance we find ourselves in that moment? Looking at Jesus' life and teaching helps us. When Jesus finishes praying, he walks towards his betrayers and his captors. He knows this is what the Father wants. He knows what he has come for. This is the Father's will. Well, you might say that that doesn't help me personally. But let's look a bit closer. One of Jesus' disciples reaches for a sword, takes a swipe at the high priest's servant, off comes the ear. Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus picks up the ear and heals him. Can we determine anything about God's will here? Well, we know that that Jesus came to heal and to restore. And even in, in these circumstances where he's facing betrayal and death... 
they don't override God's desire for healing and restoration. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who has come to bring a greater peace. He is not leading a rebellion. It's always God's will to seek peace and for his people to be peacemakers even when circumstances don't suit us. His friends abandon him, but he does not abandon them. He continues to love. God's will can be summed up as Jesus has taught us. Love God and love others, even your enemies. Jesus here is enacting the Father's will. But it's still a bit difficult, isn't it, to nail down God's will in every situation. Because we also know that we're not puppets or robots. We have free will, free will to choose, and we choose at times contrary to God's will. We don't always seek peace. We don't seek to restore and heal. We choose not to love. And we also know that there are some times when we simply make mistakes. We simply do the wrong thing and realise, ah, I should have done. There is great consolation in knowing that God is always God and God is always good. He is indeed the loving, sovereign Lord. And as a result, he is always working all things together for the good of those who love him. It will at times be a struggle to do God's will. But if you have chosen to follow Jesus... You are not left to your own resources. God's Spirit aids us in that struggle, that daily struggle against temptation. Each time I manage to love well, each time I manage to forgive, each time you manage to display faith, each time you manage to be kind, be gentle, each time we display self-control, That is evidence of God's spirit at work in you. In addition, we have access to the gift of prayer. Most of you haven't been to school recently, except for Max. Oh, yes, and yeah, our teachers. You don't get taught subjects these days. You get taught to learn how to learn. You get taught to learn how to learn so that we can produce lifelong learners. God has always worked this way. He wants us to learn from every situation, every circumstance, and he gives us his spirit and the gift of prayer to assist us so that day by day, we can learn how to discern his way and his will. At the start of this series, 
we looked at Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and we noticed that many people had really low expectations or skewed expectations of what the king should be. Indeed, throughout this series, we've seen that God has a much bigger agenda than we have and he calls us to be part of that. Similarly, with prayer, our focus is often small. What we would like, what we think would be best, what we understand to be right and good in this particular circumstance. Often failing to see that God is doing immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. We can misunderstand, more likely reinterpret those four words. Your will be done. As I said earlier, prayer is not natural for us. Prayer is counterintuitive. Prayer is an invitation to remind ourselves of a number of things. To remind ourselves of God's character, his true identity. To remind ourselves of our identity, our true identity. It's an invitation to realign our expectations. An invitation to choose childlike dependence. An invitation to resist temptation daily. An invitation to die to self. Prayer is a reminder of us, of God's greatness, God's power, God's wisdom, God's glory. He is the sovereign, the perfect sovereign, who is currently working, reconciling, redeeming, renewing. He is the God who is love, who won't give us anything that is not for our ultimate good and to his glory. Prayer is an invitation to remind us of our true identity. We are weak and broken. But God in Jesus has come to restore and heal, reshaping us into the image of his Son. We are children of grace who are loved with an unfathomable love. Prayer reminds us that we need help in realigning our expectations. God, this is what I want. This is what I think is best from my limited understanding. But you are God and I am not. I, I want to give you my heart's allegiance, but today... I choose to depend on you. Today I choose to trust you and not myself. Today your will be done in me, through me. Prayer helps us to resist temptation. That temptation that we don't need God that we are self-sufficient, that we are self-determining beings. Prayer helps us to put to death our selfishness, our foolishness. 
Today, you were tempted. Today, you were tempted to live independently of God. Today, you were tempted to doubt God's sovereign love for you. And today, you were tempted to look to this world rather than to God for life and fulfilment. Tomorrow, you will be tempted the same way. Will we pray? Jesus calls us, like he called Peter and the others, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Please pray with me. Father, as we come to take symbols that remind us of what the Lord Jesus did on that night in the upper room where he pointed to himself as the bread that would be broken, as he pointed to himself as being the wine that would be poured out. As we come and taste these tokens that we're very familiar with, please help us to see the power and the love and the grace that lies beyond the words and the symbols. Please come and restore us. Please come and fill us with your spirit that we might live for you. That we might be able to declare more often and more firmly your will be done. Father, meet us now in this place. Love us now in this place. Our love is weak, but we long to love you more. Amen.